Oh, is this time for Aaron's Crazy Idea Corner? Do we have one? We do now. <laughs> Let's go in the corner. All right. We need a theme song. song. The More Than Just Code podcast may contain material that is offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 52 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitro, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hey, how's it going? And we also have Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And uh, that's it. Mark and where's is, Mark? Uh, Mark is uh, absent without leave. Oh. AWOL. <laughs> Go get him. <laughs> yeah, let's just jump on a flight down this, to uh, L.A. and browse them up. So what are we talking about this week? There's a bunch of things. Yes. Well, obviously, is Google one of them? You mean uh, Alphabet? Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Do No Evil, Google, or yeah. formerly, formerly Do No Evil. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I think it's worth a mention. <laughs> well, it's think? sort of it's follow-up from our last show, which was all everything you wanted to know about uh, social networking, but we're afraid to ask, right? Mm. Yeah, we do mm. have the follow-up for that Twitter has hired the Falcon Pro app developer um, right. to help them with their Android version of the app. The Falcon Pro is, that sounds like a, ga- a game? No. I don't no, know it's a yeah, Twitter it, it, app for Android. It actually does sound like a game, but it is not a game. It is uh, based on the name. I'm assuming it is the pro, therefore paid version of the Twitter mm-hmm. client. That uh, actually don't know the name of the individual. Joaquim Vergas, developer of the popular third-party Falcon Pro app on Android. So it's an Android okay. uh, Twitter client, mm-hmm. and Twitter has. Twitter, the company, has hired that developer to join its Android development team. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of it's kind interesting. Of, it's, so, it's funny and noteworthy, right? Because this guy is, you know, well on the record uh, as complaining about Twitter's terms of use for developers. Um, and so this is kind of, if you can't beat him, join him kind of move. Like, the developer, I think, sought this out because he wanted to be able to use the Twitter APIs without encumbrance. And the only way mm-hmm. to do that, of course, is to work for Twitter. Right. <laughs> so this is a great way for him to kind of get in and get involved in, probably for him, a really great move, right? Like, so if he's a, a reasonably successful Android developer, now he's working for Google, or Google, Twitter. <laughs> that might mm-hmm. be prescient, who knows? <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and actually work on the Android client uh, rather than some third-party uh, version thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for Twitter to hire some Mac developer <laughs> to mm-hmm. work on the Mac desktop version of a Twitter client since they haven't updated that in many years. But uh, mm. my breath remains unheld. Well, do we know how big Twitter is in terms of like, like I mean, we sort of have rumor about Facebook having hundreds of iOS developers or whatever, but how, how do we know how big Twitter's development is? We know is, that they, they have 2,000 employees. Okay. Uh, of whom I, I can't fathom a, not a small margin of them being uh, yeah. iOS developers or mm-hmm. Cocoa developers even. So some of these guys, I'm you know, it, it boggles my mind to be frank that a company of their size and scale and resources and they've they've got all of those wouldn't mm-hmm. dedicate some like even two people, even one <laughs> person would could be responsible for um, developing that app. Right, right. It already exists. It's not like it doesn't exist. They simply need to update it. You know, add support for all the features that they're adding to, you know, the desktop client. And they're just not doing it. 
or sorry, desktop client, the iOS client. But uh, that, that's not happening. It drives me nuts. Hmm. So sorry, I'm sorry, Jaime, I, mean, I didn't read the uh, the article. So what does it sort of cover? Or? It's very just short, just the fact that that developer will... It's actually a pretty sweet gig, because not only does he join the, you know, the the Twitter family and, and help build the official client. He also still is apparently maintaining the rights and ability to develop Falcon Pro, which is his oh, third-party cool, yeah. client. Hmm. So that'll be Can't kind of his like, playground. Yeah, that's well, uh, probably tells you where, where Twitter was in terms of being able to attract and hire somebody of, of that caliber. Hmm. Hmm. If I'm not mistaken, I could have sworn Falcon Pro was the app that I think it had a little Easter egg in it to get around the, like, if you were an advanced user, if you wanted to get around the um, 100,000 user tokens limit that Twitter added to its API. I think it had instructions on how to go and create your own API key. So register as a Twitter developer, get your own API key, and they could, you know, in the settings in the app, change the API key. So now, if you were blocked out, you are no longer blocked out because <laughs> you have your own personal API key that's talking to Twitter's API. So that's the thing we were talking about the last couple of weeks, or last week in particular, about the fact that you can only have 100,000 users within your environment. Is that correct? Yes, as a, deve- as a Twitter developer. We covered this yeah. last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, as a Twitter developer, your app can only have a maximum of 100,000 users. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Um, because every user that uses your app gets an API token from their OAuth yeah. servers, right? So that's how they control right. it. Hmm. So, you know, every user is tied to that app. And so they can say, oh, 100,001, you're out. We're not, we're not giving you a token. So yeah. a user can buy the app, but won't be able to use it in right, that theory. Right. That's, that's why crazy. I, yeah, it is crazy. So. <laughs> Anyway, uh, people were mad about this three years ago, Tim. Come on, get with the train. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Woo-woo, it's pulling it. out of the station, man. Come on. Okay. <laughs> the train has left the building. Long since El- gone. Elvis okay. has left the building. Twitter, Twitter, um, Twitter. Yeah, Good for yeah. that. Um, so, so, yes, what else? <laughs> what is this uh, via Greg FU, the screen size debate, how the iPhone 6 Plus impacts? What oh, that was a, um, I was listening to another podcast. I, I was recapping a podcast that I thought I hadn't heard, but I have heard. Um where he was talking about the, um, and it's follow-up to our discussion about the um, uh, iPhone 6 Plus size um, cannibalizing the iPad, right? Um, and it's an actually an older article. It's from November of last year. But it, it has some interesting pie charts which um, which show uh, the use, whether you have, if you had an iPhone 4, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what Greg actually said on the podcast, but anyway, what Greg was saying, that I think I just want to pull the graph up here, but what he was saying was that uh, it would seem that if you had um, an iPhone 4, you're more likely to use a, a hard percentage of the time you'll, you'll be using your iPad, but as you move, as the screen size moves up, um, like to an iPhone 6 Plus size, this, the amount of time you spend on an iPad is considerably lower. I thought it was interesting, though, that that, that article was written in November, which is like two months after the iPhone 6 Plus shipped, right? So I wondered, I wondered, kind of wondered, you know, to myself what the, uh, what the sample size would be like today, you know, based on the fact that the 6 has been out for so much longer, right? And the fact that we've seen iPad use declining over time. And that's sort of what you were, the um, link you posted from above Avalon, right? Talks about that exact thing. So this was just published 
this week, it's not old at all. And <laughs> Neil Seibart, <laughs> who has been writing uh, quite a bit about the iPad, he's uh, long been paying attention to the market, as so many of us have. His take on this is actually quite pessimistic. Uh, and as longtime listeners of the show will know, I am something of an iPad booster. Long mm-hmm. been a fan of the iPad and believe in it as a platform. But the evidence is really starting to pile up that um, the dreams of the iPad are not coming true. This mm-hmm. uh, this device is becoming less and less um, relevant as time goes on, primarily because the promise of the platform really hasn't been realized. It, um, like I've said before, it really is just a big iPod Touch in so many ways. Uh, yeah. It's a big screen, and the data that comes in, you know, quarter after quarter, suggesting that it really is simply used as a consumption device. It's being used to watch Netflix and other mm-hmm. video streaming services. Um, you know, maybe to triage some email, read books, etc. But um, because it, it has not found a role as a productivity tool in large part, uh, the upgrade data is showing that people aren't really buying new iPads. You know, mm. nerds like us aside. <laughs> so right. yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, the article here has charts uh, using a, a trailing 12-month uh, shipment chart here showing the tablet market and the iPad in particular really declining uh, steadily and rapidly over the last three years. So from 2012 to the present. Um, and now the year-over-year growth is shrinking at this point. It's getting smaller, not just not growing, but declining. So fewer iPads being sold every year. Um, and Cybart goes into, you know, sort of analyzing why that is. And, you know, we, we come up against the whole consumption thing. And this is an, art- an argument that we've been hearing pretty much since 2010 when the iPad first shipped, that, you know, this is just a consumption device. It's not used for productivity. And, you know, we tried to brush that off, you know, in the past. And, and I was one of the people doing that, too, thinking, you know, like this iPad, it's a totally new paradigm for computing. Yeah. Uh, so it's got to be capable of more than just reading and watching. But. I have to be uh, honest here. I, you know, would would be the first to say that, you know, that's even the case for me. The iPad mm-hmm. just is not a productivity device, and I use it for reading and I use it for watching video. I'm using it purely for consumption. I, you know, might look at uh, Slack on it or read emails. I might even type out a response to an email or tweet on it, for example. But 95% of the time, I'm using an iPad. It's to read something. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And it's valuable for that, but uh, to be perfectly frank, there's nothing that my iPad Air can do that even a an iPad 2 could do just as well, if maybe a little slower. And not as nice a screen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But for the vast majority of people out there, those are not sufficient reasons to upgrade. You yeah, know, like yeah. my, um, my mother-in-law, up until, say, a month or so ago, has been using the original iPad. And loving mm. it, you know? Wow. Great computer, she says. It's her favorite uh, computer that she's ever owned, right? Um, because it is so easy to use. It has all the features that make the iPad a great, you know, consumption device, which is all she ever wants out of it. Why would she ever upgrade? No reason, <laughs> right? And it's not just yeah. her. It's, it's everyone, right? Um, so what's, what's got to happen for things to improve? Uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, according to Cybart and according to me, uh, the iPad has to kind of become more of a productivity device. And you look at its position in the overall computing landscape, 
and you see it's getting squeezed from above by the Mac, of course, with things like the, the new Retina MacBook getting smaller and thinner and more portable, and yet having incredible productivity capabilities, right? Just like any Mac does. So it's becoming more iPad-sized. Meanwhile, the lower end, the iPhone, is getting bigger and bigger, right? With the 6 Plus in particular. So people who might otherwise use an iPad could actually come up with a good reason to use an iPhone 6 or 6 Plus. So why have an iPad at all? And, of course, this is Apple cannibalizing its own product, as it were, but they really do need to sit back if they are looking at growing the iPad market ever again in the future. They really need to come up with a productivity story for this. And Cybart seems to think that if this iPad Pro we've been hearing about, uh, this rumor that we have of the 12.9-inch iPad Plus coming out, then that could be the catalyst to uh, turn the iPad into some kind of productivity device. I'm having a little hard time with that one, personally. But the iPad, as a um, as a device for like computing, like you would with a Mac, uh, is going to rely on more than it just being a little bit bigger than the iPad Air, for example. So there still needs to be a lot more done um, in terms of both the hardware and the software. The stuff we're seeing for iOS 9 coming out, to me, uh, while interesting and good, I don't think is going to answer the problems that that are causing the iPad sales to decline like this. It needs to be much more of a productivity story, and as of right now, I'm not seeing what that is. I'm going to take a, go out on a limb here and say I'm totally right behind you on the iPad. I am the same, have the same opinion that you know, for me, it was it, it, the great promise of a new computer. But I think, and I don't know if you said this, but the again, we've talked about it before on the show that that there seems to be a lack of um, one impetus to create great iPad software and the ability to create create great iPad software. I think some of the limitations in iOS um, make it difficult for for people to create compelling iPad experiences. I know that in in some niche markets, like in music production, there's you know the iPad works great, and you know like you said before, uh, when I'm reading a, a book, um, you know I I often will I'll, you know if I'm reading a tech manual or something like that, I'll open I'll open up in the iPad because again it's a bigger screen and I can look at it and it's gorgeous. I mean um, we're a little displaced here at home still, and so I've been using. Netflix on the iPad, on my iPad Air 2, and it looks great, you know, and then, of course, you know, I started drawing on it with the, the pencil by 53, you know, and, and I'm loving that, too. So from those kind of experiences, they're great, but again, you know, sort of like being a tech, you know, um, developer, the kind of things people look for in iPad as a as a device aren't really aren't really there, you know, um, for, the, for the mass public, right? For productivity, you mean? Yeah, well, yeah, productivity or, or even, yeah, for consumption of, like, Netflix and reading books and, you know, playing no, like, games I with think, the kids. I think and, the iPad has it covered in spades yeah. for consumption, right? Yeah. Yes, we, it's well-established and documented, and, you know, that's what everybody's keeping them for is for consumption. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's off the table. Never mind. The iPad is great for that. But mm-hmm. the question is, you know, the iPad is only ever going to grow significantly again if it can do more than that, if it can be yeah. a creation device, if it can use productivity applications. Yeah. Here's yeah. a thought I had today, um, and this is something that, that people used to talk about, but I haven't heard much about lately. I don't know why, but, you know, mm. give me your feedback on this. The iOS is, like, the only large mainstream platform, you know, by Apple that doesn't allow you to actually build applications for it on itself, right? 
Yes, that's true. Yeah. So there's there's no Xcode for iOS. Right. Um, right. And there's no way to build software for iOS except mm-hmm. on a Mac. Which to me, you know, like if you just said that to somebody in like 1995, they'd have looked at you like you were crazy. Yeah. Why would you buy that thing? Yeah. Like what, what's the point of that? What kind of computer can yeah. is that that you can't build software on it? Yeah, write code or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. And I think about that too myself. I mean, even we've discussed even in the, the ability to create iP- uh, podcasts and stuff like that on on the iPad. It, it seems like a natural thing. I mean, there's lots of like again, there's GarageBand and there's other uh, sort of prosumer apps that run on on the device for musicians to to compose and create new things. But you're right, you can't. You know, I mean, there's DryGend, which is a sort of a pseudo code. Uh, writer for iOS apps. Yeah, but that relies on having a an, a Mac running Xcode to work. Yeah, to do right? to do the build and run exactly. Yeah. And then same thing with you know inter- there's an app called Interface HD that you can use to d- design things. And I'm sure there's probably other apps as well. There's even sort of Photoshop Lite kind of experiences from Adobe. But um, yeah, I mean th- I think that some of, in some ways the iPad is kind of handicapped by iOS in that sense, right? Or the fact that you can't, like you said. You know, there isn't a, a development environment for iPad specifically. Right. No. Well, think of it this way. Um, I don't believe that there's anything in the Cocoa frameworks that would prevent you from writing a full-featured professional productivity tool for iOS. Hmm. Like, okay, let's start with that contention. Do you believe that's true or not? Uh, yeah, I think I think it is. My, I, my hmm was basically because I don't think Apple would allow it. But that's, no, no, no. Know. Don't take us off topic. The, yeah. <laughs> the frameworks exist, okay? So yeah, sure. No, I, yeah. I totally think I think about that all the time. In fact, you know, I, you know, the fact that you can do even even doing artwork on the iPad, I think, is possible. Like from the point of view of having Bezier tools, and I and I think often about how I would build an app that would have that kind of capability in it. Right? So, okay. So yes, the the platform has the tools that that are needed to build complex, large scale productivity apps. Sure. Okay. Um, and so. What's the problem then? There's maybe, a few maybe mem- memory limitations. Possibly, um, but we've seen people do some pretty amazing things, even with the limited footprint on the iPad. Um, That's true. And they are getting more powerful. Like an iPad Air two, I think, goes toe to toe with any desktop computer. Yes, yeah, two two gigabytes of memory as well, a working yeah. system memory. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then there's the screen size too, right? So say I wrote an Xcode, for example, and if I were Apple. Um, yeah. One of the first problems I run up against is the fact that it's only a 9.7-inch display, right? So, right. you know, who's who can program on a, on a display of that size? Uh, mm. So that's, that's kind of a challenge. Well, what if I could jack an iPad into a 27-inch display mm-hmm. um, and actually have it show up as, like, a 27-inch, like, uh, footprint? Yeah, extended, extended monitors, extended exactly, screen size. Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. and suddenly I've got iOS running at... Like an, a 27-inch display's resolution, for example, right? Yeah, you know, um, which would be significantly larger than what an iPad native display looks like, right? Mm-hmm. But then I've got the room to run all these apps, and you know, technically that's possible, right? I don't know if the yep. hardware can drive it, um, mm. but I wouldn't be surprised if it could, especially in iPad Air 2, as we've said, very mm-hmm. powerful stuff. Um, but then, of course, with size classes and you know, adaptive layout and all that crap. Um, should theoretically be possible to blow up that app to fit on that screen, right? Mm, right. I, th- I think that would be a huge boon for application developers because then you've got something that you don't have to worry about the screen size because you can just attach it to a monitor that fills it, right? Yeah. And so suddenly something like an Xcode on iOS becomes theoretically possible. 
Yeah, and, and you kind of wonder too with size classes and stuff like that. Is is that the li- the outer limit? And I think that's why people speculated about the quote unquote iPad Pro being a larger larger device, right? So, yeah, I mean that's that's one sign. Perhaps the iPad Pro can plug would be able to plug into external displays because mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. though like it, it's a twelve point nine inch display, so that's great. Um, it would be interesting to see how Apple proposes that you take advantage of that. But I'd like to think that uh, uh, an iPad that truly answered the need for high-end productivity would yeah. be able to plug into other displays right. and become like sort of a replacement for your desktop that you can just take up and go. Yeah. So uh, coming back to the article that you posted, I was just thinking about um, what about the Surface? I mean, because it's, uh, it, it, you know, from what we can see in, this, in these numbers, I think it goes up to second quarter of 2015, you know, everything's kind of sliding down to the point where it's, you know, it's less and less over in terms of units shipped. And this is where the Surface is trying to enter into the market. Surface 3, Surface Pro 3, I think it's called, right? Yep. Um, it's coming into a market that's already, there's there's no market for it. What does what does the Surface add in terms of its ability to work as, as a standalone device? I mean, do you, guys, do you guys have any input on that or any knowledge of it? Or Well, I've certainly spent some time using one. Yeah. Um, and I, I really wanted to like it. You know? <laughs> I really did, because I, I think that the, the hardware tries to answer the question that I'm posing right now, is how to combine yeah. the portability and the lightness of a tablet with the productivity of a desktop, right? And yeah. that's, you know, you don't have to be um, brilliant to understand uh, the appeal of that, right? And that's what Microsoft is trying to do here. But um, it turns out to be kind of a bastard child that doesn't work in well in either case, right? It's right. kind of too small as a laptop, uh, too big and heavy as a tablet, um, and of course it's Windows, right? So, well, does it go beyond the Metro experience, or is or is it actually Windows eight now? Well, it's yeah. Windows ten now. Ten, or yeah, okay, yeah. okay. But uh, you know, like it's 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 the Metro interface. You know it and love it, and um, and. But I mean, there's no there's no actual Windows running in behind. Like in, on a PC, you can actually get to the actual apps. No, you behind. can run you can run Windows just like you can on any other Windows platform. So you can yeah. get to the window world, you know, with the file explorer, with the fields of green, and all that kind of stuff. For sure, same thing. Hmm. It's the same thing, right? No. Um, but you know, like it's just not. You know, I see them in the wild. It's not like they're not selling any of them. And, yeah, yeah. You no, know, by all accounts, Microsoft is selling more of them every year. Every time they try a new model, they're doing better at it in classic right. Microsoft fashion. But it's still not a good enough product right now. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think, Jaime? Have you tried one? I've only tried one. So not, you know, like a demo unit that I've had for any experience, uh, you know, any long running experience, but just trying them out there at the Microsoft stores and, I think the Surface Pro is interesting because it does have that you know, that full-featured operating system that and the touch capabilities that make it kind of nice, I think, as a tweener device. So, you know, developers who decide that they want to go that route because there really isn't a great MacBook or MacBook Air equivalent on the um, on the Windows side. Not one that would have the the same build quality for the same kind of price that you'd be talking about anyways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um or as a tweener device for um like students right like college students is primarily what i would be thinking of here or you know don't want to have a whole bunch of devices or maybe simply can't afford a whole bunch of devices so they have something they can operate as both a i need to write book reports i need to write essays uh but i also want to kick back watch some netflix mm. you know check out twitter that sort of thing 
Um, I've not seen how it works in a development environment, you know, like with Visual Studio. So that would be kind of interesting to see. Probably operates very similarly to a MacBook Air. Doable, but not great. Um, but I don't know, like, it, this does seem interesting, but, you know, adding, having Xcode on the iPad will do zilch for the iPad, right? Like we talked last week about developers being an edge case. Like mm -hmm. there just aren't enough of us to make a dent in just about anything, you know, That's true. when we're talking at this scale. Yeah. I, I, I just meant it as, uh, as a signal, you know, like mm. if, if the platform were kind of suitable for having Xcode on it then I think it would be a platform that were suitable for um, being a, a good case for some kind of productivity, you know? Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not thinking that Xcode on the iPad would make it by itself. I think it would be just the sign that it were, that it was happening, that it was open to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I do think that iOS 9 on the iPad Air 2 will probably go at least one major step towards the direction of having more productivity because you can have you know, two apps side by side doing things. Um, mm -hmm. Sure, would be nice to have drag and drop capabilities, and I think that would be probably in the between last... environments, right? Well, there's also the deep right. linking stuff that you can send messages to other apps as well, though, right? Sure, but let's say, for example, you are writing a blog post and you're going to reference Twitter content. Prior to iOS nine, this would have been a real pain in the neck to do on your iPad. There'd be no good reason for you to do so. You would have to use some sort of intermediary like Clips or Evernote or something, some sort of third-party mm -hmm. keyboard, let's say, to collect all the information you want and switch back and forth between the apps or use right. you know the, the third-party keyboard and switch back and forth between those. Um, that's less necessary on, on iOS 9 because you can have the apps side by side. I think if you could go one step further and have drag and drop, like, hey, um, I sure would like to drag this bit of content and seamlessly look, here's a snapshot of that tweet that I'm referencing in the blog post. Mm -hmm. So it goes some, some measure of, of going towards the way of, of having productivity. Cause you could imagine, you know, students doing the same thing, right? They have uh, realistically probably Wikipedia and their favorite, <laughs> and their favorite word editor right next to each other. And they're hammering away at those, but oh, I don't think I it'll go the, quite the route of like traditional productivity. Right, it, yeah, I think you lose the fidelity just having a touch device. Period. Mm -hmm. Even if it was in a you know a ginormous twenty-seven inch iPad Maxi Pro. <laughs> Coined here first, folks. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I think that would be very cool, but I just I just don't see how it's happening yet. I I tend to think that. Um, we, we've, we're getting part of the story with iOS 9 and the features that are there for the iPad Air 2, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think there's going to be more to it if that iPad Pro turns out to be true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think there's going to be um, a hardware contribution to the productivity story. So uh, stay tuned, folks, is all I have to say. Yeah. Well, what do you think? I, I know we talked about this before, and you know the original advice when the iPad first came out, and they were talking about you know making your apps universal or porting your app over from iPhone to iPad. And the, the advice of the day was, don't make your iPad just a larger iPhone app, right? Or you know, or well, that was the advice to make it a larger version. 
like yeah, or if that, not the advice, but at least the implication of that. Well, the technology. idea was, you know, you've got more more screen real estate. You can do you can do different kind of experiences. You could have split screens. You can have like you know uh, a list of tools on one side, and you know the the viewer the experience on the other side. Um, you know, a master detail kind of view. But and and now with size classes, it kind of I think we talked about this last year when size classes first got introduced. It's it's almost like they they're sort of pushing you that way. So it's kind of like they're taking away in, I mean, I was looking at, I was refactoring some old apps that I built back in the day. And back then when you, you know, I think it was around just before iOS five, when you did a multi, when you did a universal app, you used to get two sets of, of app delegates and two sets of, you know, master and two sets of details, you know, one for iPhone, one for iPad. And you kind of had to, you, you were building your app twice. You were building your app twice, but you also were able to build a different experience on the iPad, which is what what the, the sum of that was, right? Um, now with size classes, there I mean, there's been a few good tutorials out there on how to you know create the experience or change the experience, you know, using size classes by moving you know, elements around on the screen and changing sizes and you know including and excluding things based on the on the um, the size class. Uh, I think that's the right term. Um, in Xcode, you know what I mean? Like where you can, you can yeah, yeah, in- yeah. include, cool. exclude good. stuff. You got it. Um, I wonder, like, so the fact that that we've talked about this before, but it is difficult to create a, create a good experience on iPad. Do you think that the size class kind of dumbs down the developer's ability or want or need to build something unique? That's exactly what I argued back when this yeah. came out, right? Yeah. Go, go back to episode one or two or something whenever I first complained <laughs> about that. Uh, I wrote about it on my blog even. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely a problem. Um, this is uh, this is what we're seeing. I, I think that there is a connection between that policy change, mm-hmm. uh, between Apple saying, make it a unique app for the iPad, and when iOS right. 8 came out, and Apple said, um, yeah, just uh, here, it's super easy now to yeah. use the same code, same UI, to build yeah. your iPhone and your iPad app. You and I have both read read uh, the Becoming Steve Jobs biography, and and I, if I'm not mistaken, I I, rem- I recall that he was one of the main fans behind the whole tablet idea, right? Sure. Um, it was kind of sort of his baby, and I and I wonder if now that he again is no longer around, if that's sort of falling through the cracks or potentially falling through the cracks, you know? I don't think so. Um, I think that a lot of people still believe in the iPad and believe what it can mm-hmm. do, but I don't think it takes a genius to recognize that this platform is not living up to its potential right. yeah, i think yeah, apple oh, recognizes that you know they have to yeah. right yeah. like they see the sales numbers more than we do they know them better than we do and they know that mm-hmm. it's not selling that mm-hmm. great um but they also know why that is right like they've they've done the analysis that neil Seibart has done um and we've been hearing for a long time that they've been prepping an ipad pro i mean that mm-hmm. that name itself suggests that there's something to this that suggests productivity right that's what right. professional means it means getting stuff done it does not mean you know, watch YouTube videos or whatever, you know, hang out in Magpie, as one would obviously do if one had an (laughs) iPad, um, you know, all the time, because there's obviously much more that you can do with it. But what is that stuff? You know, because, and the thing, the the elephant in the room, right, that we haven't even talked about yet, why don't we have big, huge productivity apps? Um, Because obviously we're not limited, I don't think, like we covered earlier, by the framework capabilities. Mm -hmm. We believe that's possible. Uh, the hardware is more capable in terms of processing power and memory. The screen size is an issue, but there might be a way out of that. But mm-hmm. what is the real problem? It's the fact that you can't make money doing it on right. the App Store the way it is today. Right. Um, and I don't know how Apple is ever going to address that or if they even give a crap. Right. 
Well, it's interesting. I was listening to release notes this week, and they had Chris Lisko on the show talking about how he prices his apps. And he's been, you know, a Mac developer for 10 years. So, you know, he was even selling before the Mac app stores around. And, you know, and he was talking about one of his apps, uh, Fuzz something or other. Um, I'll, put it, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, initially, it was $150, and, and, he, and that was actually priced too low for in, in the music sphere, right? Because he wrote apps specifically for music. But he, there seems to be a, uh, more and more apps that are being sold at higher than freemium. Or I think, you know, I think, I think there's a trend to moving away from freemium, and people are charging actually real dollars for, for their products. I mean, a lot of games are no longer, you know, a lot of the good games are, are no longer free, and they're moving away from the freemium model, it seems to me, anyway. Ooh, I don't um, know about that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I think there, it would there, depend on, on what you're talking about, right? Well, like, there, was, there was a post that I put on here, and I was leading towards that, um, about Apple promoting independent games. Yeah, and free, if you look at, the, if you look yeah. at those, those games, they're not, they're not free. They're, they're, or for the most part, right? Um, so there's a difference between, I think, some of the things you're saying in the terms of, you know, some of the games that will be, like, game of the year kind of thing when Apple Design Awards or for the video game sites will be like, oh, wow, this this game is great. Um, there's a very handful of those that mm-hmm. that will be out there that will make any money whatsoever. Yeah. Um, the biggest earners will continue to be the Supercell and, and King and... Yes. Even to a lesser extent, the Rovios of the world making games that are yeah. not as high a quality, you know, are not going to be remembered fondly 20 years from now. Right. So I think those are two totally different things. And I think it's also not all that different from where I think things were with the iPad back when Apple was making the um, the suggestion, promoting the idea that you should have a, you know, a an iPad oriented or very iPad specific optimized whatever you might call it experience mm-hmm. versus now where as we've talked about with race to the bottom type things um, mm-hmm. it's quite frankly probably not worth your time to have a different experience right like you might be in the right market where that actually will make a difference um, probably not <laughs> you're probably in the 95 percent of the market that it doesn't make a difference and therefore nine yeah, 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 maybe I was too conservative. Maybe the 99% of the market yeah. where you probably should just go with the path of least resistance and just use auto layout with size classes. Hmm. I mean, yeah, and and everything that like a Chris Lissio does is completely not in the 99%. No, right? Nobody's paying stuff. any money yeah. whatsoever for audio engineering type apps, you know, in terms of drop in the bucket type of stuff, right? Mm hmm. Well, I mean, but that's the thing is, is that it would seem to me that you, if you, if you want to play this game, you, you can't, I mean, is there, is there, is there, is there a page on the app store that talks about apps specifically for the iPad that we can look at that, um, because I'm curious to see whether people are, are making apps exclusively for iPad these days, or are they, or are they all just, you know, bowing to the, the, the most popular, uh, you know, the iPhone being so ubiquitous, you want to basically, you know, you, you figure you just have to hit the hit that as hard as you can, right? To get as much exposure and as, as many downloads as you can, right? Well, I think you pick one question. of two strategies. You either go mass market, which means race to the bottom, razor thin yeah. margins at, at massive sure. quantities. Mm-hmm. Um, or you go very niche and you charge a very large amount of money, relatively speaking, at the very least, for something, right? Like audio engineering apps. 
Mm-hmm. Well, so in in a sort of similar, I think similar um, thing. Did you guys look at the post I put up by Matthew Ingram about um, Pro Politico and how they're charging more for people accessing their their content? What I'm what I'm getting at is that that you know web content, as we know, has been free forever, and it's killing publishing businesses. You know, newspapers are are getting involved and losing their shirts, and sites such as um, Gigom can't afford to pay the bills because there's no money in you know advertising. In fact, I think I think um, <laughs> uh, even Marco posted something, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. With, with it was last uh, week, uh, yeah, or, last or week was with, two weeks ago maybe. Ghostery. Ghostery, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was last. Yeah, yeah. It was when yeah you were at the cottage and you were cutting out, and, I, and uh, I, I'm a big fan of Ghostery. I've been using it for a while, but um, the reason I put Matthew's thing on here from from Fortune was was that. Um, this ProPolitico site has figured out how to, they, they have a small niche market, I believe, that they can charge a little extra for people to get the content, because the, cause that's the, the content is where the money is in, on the web, in web sites, if you will. I'm, I'm failing to put my point out here, but what do you think about that as, as, a, as a, an analogy to what's happening in the App Store with developers not being able to make a buck? I, I, there was an interesting tweet by Someone, maybe it might have been Craig Hockenberry, mm-hmm. about how the music industry was probably the first one to be disrupted by this whole internet thing. Sure. You remember yeah. the internet? Yeah, how it came in. Um, yeah. <laughs> and how they moved from a model of paying per song or per album, and yeah. now they've been fully disrupted, and now people pay for songs via streaming subscription service, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sort of the same business model could be applied to uh, online content like newspapers and things where we see a lot of people offering subscriptions to their content so like websites for example pro political perhaps with their paywall um, expecting people to pay to access it on a monthly basis (laughs) and it could be that you know i think that it's quite likely that over time uh, services amalgamators will come out and offer the ability to subscribe to, say, multiple services yeah. for, like, one all-you-can-eat price, right? <laughs> I think that's just natural. I'm surprised nobody's done it yet. Well, there's, there's, there's one on the, on the uh, um, magazine side. Um, next issue. Ne- next issue, yes. yes thank next you. issue. Yeah, uh, so Next Issue is an example of... of yes, of that's exactly what I'm talking about. I think it's a single publisher. I'm not sure who's basically pulling together different... Um, yeah, content from different magazines and, and giving you one price, like a like a Netflix for magazines, if you will, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So something yeah. like that, except mm-hmm. more broadly distributed, uh, so that you can like maybe subscribe to the New York Times and um, Wired and like all these maybe other large publishers, you know, so that you can get access to their content for one price. And so that, in a way, you could regard that as a kind of streaming, right? Because you're paying one price. Mm-hmm. That money gets distributed among multiple uh, publishers, uh, and they get just a sliver of what you're paying. You know, the the pressure here is going to drive profits for everyone down and right. down and down. Yeah. And so Hockenberry's, if, I, if I'm remembering right, his tweet was basically saying that the same thing's going to come to the app market, right? And that's that's the terrifying future that lies ahead of us, I think, when people have fully stopped paying for apps. Mm-hmm. That maybe that there will be some kind of Apple will offer like a streaming service. You pay, you know, five dollars a month, <laughs> and and you get access to you can any eat. app, yeah. any app, and and they can monitor your usage and 
and they they send out checks to developers based on uh, amount of time spent in app. Um, yeah. And and then it becomes just even more awful for people like us. And well, it, yeah, and, and Adobe's already done that with their Creative Cloud. Excuse me, I got to spit yeah. on the floor. Uh, um, okay, but <laughs> but uh, they uh, you know <laughs> you know I mean I, I I would I'm a professional designer. I you know I'm happy to pay you know. $1,700 for the latest version of CS6 and rather than pay $40 a month to, to buy apps that I'm never ever going to even use, right? I mean, um, and and so this whole software as a service thing um, is, is, an, is a sign of that kind of thing coming, right? You can get every app you want from Adobe, everything they've ever produced, but, you know, you got to pay this ongoing subscription and you stop paying, well, tough, you lose all of your apps, right? Mm-hmm. And that's right. well, similar no, thing is what you're talking about, right? That's exactly similar, but no, not not. And quite. Microsoft, Microsoft with their 360 thing, right? Yeah, but the, I mean that's that's a much more confined strategy. I'm talking about something broad and mm-hmm. generally available, and and brought to you not by an individual app producer, but yeah. by the platform owner, which is totally different, right? Well, and, and but it's similar to what we're doing on in cable TV as well, though, isn't it? I mean, you've got all these yes, apps, being, exa- all these exactly shows being broadcasted, and yep, you know, Netflix it's exactly and, the same. And yeah. that's but that's been disrupted. That's, that's a whole other thing. But you know, there's no sim- no single explanation is going to cover all uh, cases here. But that's the sort of fear that's out there right now. Is that yeah? Um, that at the, the end of the day, though, like the smaller publishers are going to get less and less and less. Mm. Uh, we're doomed. It's over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's the problem that Apple has to so face. So thanks right? for tuning into the podcast. <laughs> we'll be signing off now. <laughs> I'm talking about like when if if they are really truly contemplating an iPad Pro. Yeah. And they really want the iPad to become a productivity tool. They have to rig the game so that developers stand to make some profit from producing uh, applications for yeah. it. And that's that's one of the questions that needs to be answered. And if there is no answer to that question, then nothing's going to change. They come up with nice shiny hardware, but there will not be any apps for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, we've seen this from Apple in the past. I mean, I, it, ironically, I was just listening to. A 2002 keynote by Steve Jobs talking about the XSERV rollout, um, and you know he was talking about how you know developers are coming from all facets of life, Unix guys and Java guys, and they're all coming over to the Mac and you know telling the, I guess the the press and the shareholders that you know they they've got they're building up more and more developers, and that was like you know. 12 years ago or 13 years ago and and here we are now the tables have completely turned and there's tons of developers and nobody can make a buck you know yeah not selling directly to customers that's for sure exactly and and you know and and that was that was the introduction of apple's first server product and it lasted for you know i don't know uh, not even not even 10 years right and it yeah was can, can or discontinued or whatever right uh, is are you suggesting that that's a comparison to a professional type of product well, I'm comparing it to how Apple or how a product like that, you know, that some, I mean, how is there not an analogy between the iPad and the XServe? I mean, it, ha, it was a very, uh, it's a very edge case kind of product. And you would think that the iPad, I, I'm totally behind you, Aaron. I, I, I can't believe everybody doesn't have an iPad right now, you know. Um, they should get rid of everything and just have iPads. But, you know, that's not the reality. They want to have big phones and you know, MacBook Pros or little MacBooks that they can run around with to the coffee shops and... Oh, yeah. Know. Well, they want phones and they want Macs. And, yeah. you know, what's what's the point of having... And they all they do have iPads, right? Yeah. 
It's yeah. not a problem that they have iPads. You know, you see them out there in the wild. Everybody's got an iPad. there's no compelling reason to upgrade at all, you're right. There's no, no reason to buy it's a new It's the iPad. awkward teenager of Apple products. So. Hmm. I think maybe the thing that's unstated here is the MacBook, and that includes both, you know, the new MacBook, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro lines, the, the laptops, uh, they kind of got too good all of a sudden. <laughs> Like, uh, it wasn't that long ago that you you couldn't dream of having all day battery life on a MacBook. Yeah. Right. So the iPad yeah. was real real attractive. Of like, yeah, I can just plop down and tinker around with stuff for or poke around and watch videos yeah. and whatnot for hours upon hours on end. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of through you know improvements from Intel, you know Apple having better um, a better software that handles battery life much more conservatively than it did in the past and being real aggressive with things that come and maybe some measure of battery life improvements just from the battery manufacturers themselves too you know all of that has come together um kind of all at once right right around the time that the ipad was first kind of hitting its stride mm-hmm. right i mean so let's look at it. if if your macbook only got you know three to four hours of a productive life out of it, you would absolutely have to have an iPad. But because it can get, you know, 10 to 12, you yeah. could argue you don't really need it, right? Hmm. I remember those days. I remember I remember when you could only get two hours out of an iPad or out of a power book. Um, and, you know, you were always, you, you always used to plug in. I mean, to this day, I, I still have a habit of plugging my, my, uh, my Mac in. Um, most of the time. And sadly, I do. I, do I, I don't know if you guys ever worked with Newton. Newton had the best battery life; it would last for days. Mm-hmm. You know, admi- admittedly, it wasn't doing very much, but <laughs> you know. So when the iPhone came along, I mean, the BlackBerry was even better than the iPhone when 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 it came to battery life. Again, and, it did way yeah. less. Right? That's yeah. the reason. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Crappy screen, tiny screen. That's true. A little scrolly, scrolly email, and yeah, that WAP browser. I would love. I, I'm really looking forward to September. You know, the uh, where they are saying that they're going to combine the iPhone and the iPad events into one. Um, because really? they're yeah, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a ton of surprises around the iPhone, right? Like it's just another update. Uh, it's evolutionary, not revolutionary, and so why not throw the iPads in the same one? Because well, I was going to say because because the, it sounds like the iPad doesn't need its own event. In fact, it, it almost it like, certainly it may, doesn't. It, it, it may become like the uh, the MacBooks should just get the stealth upgrades, as, as Greg calls them. You know. Like right. Maybe the iPad's just going to become one of those those side products for a while until Apple figures out what they're doing with it, right? Well, that's just it. So um, I think we're going to find out because the rumor currently says that it'll happen around September 9th mm-hmm. or so. Well, it's pretty close. It is very close, yes. Yeah. So, uh, it's less than a month. Hmm. So we're talking about three, three weeks, three and a half weeks. So uh, it won't be long hmm. before we get a good answer to this question about the iPad. Can't wait. Hmm. I hope it's a good answer. Yeah, don't we all? Um do you want to talk about this apphub.io, like just quick? Yeah. So yeah, this, a, f- a friend of mine posted this about apphub. App, I saw this post uh, earlier from another person. I think it's the same thing, and it's basically the concept of um, you can update your app uh, using if it's using React Native without actually pushing a new build up to the app store. Is that correct? Yeah. So. So what do you have to say about that? I got. I, well, I see your comment here, but let's let's define React Native. Okay. So, sure. So uh, React is uh, a Facebook. Uh, derived product that they came out with. Uh, we talked about it uh, several months ago now. Mm-hmm. I may feel free to jump in and correct me on any of this, but 
Um, it's a uh, an application of web technologies. Uh, React JS is a framework for producing websites that uh, operate in real time, um, have all that uh, that good stuff, that asynchronous stuff happening, and it's been applied now to iOS. And so React Native is this platform that Facebook has created to help you build native apps um, using web technologies, of course. And so Ooh. it's the same old story, um, you know, write once, run everywhere, and so you'd be able to do the same application on Android as well. Um, but, of course, because it's all um, web stuff, right, um, using... They've they've basically created a web version of UIKit, if you will, right? Where you're writing against this uh, React Native framework, but it spits out uh, native Cocoa. Is I guess the idea. Hmm. I don't know exactly how it works under the hood, but the idea is you're talking about web technologies that are shaping the front end of the website of the application. So, right. um, App Hub is a service, a commercial service that what it will do is host the files that power your native quote unquote native app and so when you want to post an update to that app all you have to do is pull the trigger like you know do a a push on your github repo um app hub will be listening for that thing pulls the files in and you know sends it to your your running app so it's it's like a web app in that sense that you just it reloads and it's updated now Obviously, uh, what this does is it circumvents Apple's app review process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you go to apphub.io and you read about this service, uh, the first FAQ answer, or the question rather is, you know, is this even allowed by Apple's guidelines? And the answer is, of course. If you look at 332 of the app developer guidelines, um, there's a, a specific exception for us. And right. you're like, uh, okay. So you go and read those guidelines. And uh, here, let me just bring them up. Okay, so it says the only exception to the foregoing, which is that you can't, you know, update from external sources. Um, the only exception to the foregoing is scripts and code downloaded and run by Apple's built-in WebKit framework or JavaScript core, provided that such scripts and code do not change the primary purpose of the application. Okay? Mm. Um, and so what they're saying is, of course, um, React Native is uh, founded upon uh, the WebKit that's inside of it, right? Because again, sure. at its core, it's a web application, right? Mm. Okay, so it says that you know if it's if it's running on JavaScript core or, or WebKit, this is fine. You can update it all you like because there's a specific exception. It says exception right there in three three two. Okay, but read on three three three. Okay, which is the next guideline. Without Apple's prior written approval or as permitted under section three three two five in App Purchase API, an application may not provide, unlock, or enable additional features or functionality through distribution mechanisms other than the App Store. Period. Right. Right. And by that criteria alone, apphub.io is violating the App Store guidelines. Right. So there's no way Apple's going to allow you to update an app without them being involved, you know? And never mind the letter of the law. This is not a a legal document, right? This is a guideline that Apple publishes in order to make clear its intentions. Sure. Right. So they would look at apphub.io and say, well, you know, you may be following the letter of law, but we're just going to change it now to say, and apphub.io is not allowed, period. (laughs) Or they put a a checkbox in the, the, uh, when you go to push your app to be uh, approved, like like they do with the encryption, right? They put a checkbox in there saying, you're not using this type of code, and you have to say, yes, I'm not using that type of code, right? And as soon as we catch you, you're out. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. So this is never going to work. Mm-hmm. Interesting technology, mm-hmm. but uh, nope, 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 nope. 
Um, what do you think, Jaime? Did you look at this? Yeah, I did take a look. And I, I understand what people are trying to do. Um, in terms of my advice, I would say it's fairly risky. And <laughs> so you should weigh that in terms of your, you know, are you going to double down on uh, React Native and this App Hub IO? Because, I mean, you guys talked about stuff that seems like it's even a level above the level of sophistication. I w- would doubt that Apple would even go to. They could just simply in their app review be like, yeah. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your app has been removed for violation of the guidelines. Which guidelines? Yeah, we just don't want that kind of app. Oh, which app? Oh, okay, well, go away. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> We've much. We've seen them do that with things that were clearly legitimate before that they changed their minds on. This thing that tries to skirt the edges of the, the App Store guidelines is unlikely to, to stay alive for very long. Absolutely. Mm. I just do not see it. Don't see it. I'm trying to find out who's involved uh, in this company. They're based in Lexington, Massachusetts, but there are no identities attached to this company, hmm. AppHub. So if you uh, sort of look at their website, um, they have jobs. There's they have ben, a job section. Ben at AppHub IO. <laughs> Where do you see that? <laughs> On the oh uh, yeah Slack. Uh, there's a, they have a Slack group. Oh, I don't even see. I'm looking at their footer, at, and they've got under jobs community on, under community community at right. the top. Yes, okay, so here's the community manager, Ben. Um, and who else is involved? That's the only name that I can see on ben this site. Ben and Jerry. Yeah. yeah, right. There's nothing, there's nobody attached Those to Those shifty thing. people from Boston, Massachusetts, I tell you. Mm, very <laughs> shifty. Um, so I don't, I just don't see what's going on here. Um, is it? Is it commercial? Uh, they haven't fully released their service. It says yet, it's so open source, so yeah, it's open source, so that you can roll your own sort of App Hub server, I guess. Right. So maybe they aren't doing this as a commercial entity. Maybe this is like a, a shadow organization that's been spun off by Facebook. Wouldn't that be just <laughs> like them? <laughs> I like to put my tinfoil hat or on Alphabet. right now. Oh yeah, that's chilling. Yeah. But look at all the I mean, work could- that went into this, right? <laughs> Yeah, like and every I can see a business stroke. model. I can see a business model for them, right? Like, you know, just about everybody uses GitHub. GitHub has a, a business model. Um, it's dependent on Git, which does not itself depend on, and expect explicitly does not depend on a centralized service. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's true. GitHub's found its way. If if these guys and gals somehow avoid Apple's uh, ire, I, I mean, they might have a business model as well. Just it could go away overnight. <laughs> so, yeah, that's um, just it. Just for, for me, I wouldn't invest in this too much, uh, either as a developer or as a venture capitalist, right? Because it's it's super risky. Super, super, risky. super, super risky. I can't even contemplate this. Like I'm imagining, you know, like when you're an indie developer, like like us, right? Uh, you have to very carefully uh, choose what you are going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, what uh, what projects you tackle because there's only so many hours in the day. And so everything that you do choose to do, uh, you know, has with it a very carefully considered op- uh, choice made about it. But, you know, with every single keystroke that I'd be hitting in the building of AppHub.io, you know, you've got to be thinking to yourself, you know, like, Apple's going to knock this out. Like, why why would they let it survive? Unless there's something more going on that we're not seeing. I'll tell you, that's the consensus on Twitter, for sure, is uh, don't even bother looking at these guys, because Apple's never going to allow it. 
Like that's. I just wanted to point that out. AppHub.io. Very interesting. I mean, the the idea of pushing uh, app updates automatically. Wonderful. Love it. But Apple's never going to sur- uh, let it survive. Mm-hmm. Would you guys like to hear an idea I had? A crazy idea that I had. Oh, is this time for Aaron's crazy idea corner? Do we have one? We do now. <laughs> Let's go in the corner. All right. We need a theme corner. song. <laughs> I'll, I'll figure it out. Oh, you're singing now. You said no singing. Sorry. That wasn't singing, it was humming. Okay. So this week on Aaron's crazy idea corner, I'd like to point out, and I'm not even sure if this is possible, so this is actually part of why I'm bringing it up with you guys. So. You know now that becoming a member of the Apple Developer Program is free. That you you can um, you can build apps to put on your own devices now, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With me so far, okay. Yep. So, what if? Now bend your minds to this. Don't be afraid to let your mind be blown. Okay. What if there were a Mac application that would, for the average lay user, uh, sort of make it super simple? to sign you up for an Apple developer account, mm-hmm. get all the developer tools installed on your Mac behind the scenes, behind this like pretty simple interface, and then included a third-party iOS app store <laughs> so that other developers could use this thing as a service and post their apps for sale. And then when you bought the app, it would download either the source code or a partially compiled version of it and install it on your device using the developer tools that are already installed on your stuff as a member of the Apple Developer Program. Oh, I see where you're going. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, if I gave you my source code, Tim, mm-hmm. there's nothing stopping you from compiling it and installing it on your, your iPhone. No, that's true. Right? So, if there were a market for that, that would work. Am I right or am I wrong? You could call it Cydia. Never mind what you call it. <laughs> and it would look a lot nicer than Cydia. <laughs> um, but well, it's not, it's not, it's technically not, speaking, that's true. It's Am not I right? that I haven't heard. I've heard, I've heard of people doing this before, getting the source code and sticking it on their computer. I mean, Yes, but I'm, I'm talking about making it mainstream, making it possible to... No, yeah, I hear you. I hear where you're going with that. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, from the technical feasibility standpoint, it seems workable. Is that the difference now? I thought you had to be a paid developer to... No, they just changed it. They just changed it. Like at WWDC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know know there's no entry-level point, but anybody can install apps on their own device. Correct. Hmm. Yeah, that was actually the bigger news that somehow got lost when everybody was reporting on WWDC. Like, what was reported is that there's, oh, there's just one developer program now. You're not a developer on iOS, a developer on Mac, a developer for Safari... Yeah, um, good luck trying to I log mean, in, by the way. I mean, like, who cares, right? It's like, yeah. for love of God, it's 300 bucks. If you're a serious, you're trying to make a business out of it, 300 bucks is, is nothing, right? That wasn't interesting. What was interesting was now you no longer have to be uh, a paying member of the developer program to put apps on your own device, which I think is, is much bigger. It's It's much more subtle, right? I mean, it's not like, oh, look, $300 became... $100 become zero, it was much more interesting of getting things on your device, which I would hazard a guess would make iOS much, you know, and Mac development much more interesting for the student level of, uh, of development. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure that was their motivation. 
Oh yeah, it was to open it up to the to the world, pretty much. Yeah. But I think inadvertently they've opened up the possibility of making possible at least a third party app store. Hmm. Yeah, I mean it's. From a technical feasibility standpoint, it's interesting. It's also, I mean, let's look at what um, Canonical did with Ubuntu, Okay. right? Where they they tried to make Linux much more accessible, and and it had some success, but it uh, certainly wasn't a a rousing success in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. True, true, true. I mean, because Linux itself is not (laughs) on the desktop, right? Um, oh yeah, I mean Linux is an abject failure from a commercial standpoint, right? Like you know, well, from a, Windows a, is by far the winner there, and mm-hmm. if you had to somehow excise them, you know, the next clear runner-up is the Mac because it does make things easier, meets people's needs. Um, I don't think that's to minimize what you know Ubuntu has done with things and, and some of the the other packages that that do that. Uh, even Red Hat back in its day. Um, so I think there's just like you know Cydia. As was mentioned here, the the alternative app store for the jailbreaking and other hacker hacker in the positive sense community. Um, yeah, there's certainly people that do that stuff and people who enjoy it. You know, tinkering with your own device. It's yeah. like the most edgiest of edge cases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess the the thought that I had was that if if there were a way to take all the complexity of that process and turn it into like a single window app that showed a progress bar essentially. And then, you know, everything's done and installed. You're a member of the developer program. The developer tools are installed in the background. Your device is configured, et cetera, et cetera. And now you can just one click buy and install any developer's app that decides to put their up for for sale on that store. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Like, but just like this uh, React Native thing that we're talking about with AppHub.io, um, it certainly does seem kind of risky business-wise because all we need is for Snow Yosemite to say, yeah, guess what? <laughs> we close this vector. <laughs> yeah, right. So there's a, there's a shelf life for you where everybody up to El Capitan can install and do your, your thing with your product, and then after that, no more. Right. Well, it seems less risky than what you know app hub is doing <laughs> oh absolutely because the, the the door is much wider than it is on the on the ios app store yeah so do we don't have to we don't have to yeah i guess we don't have to, to register devices anymore anymore i was going to say because I, like i said before there is a whole signing process that happens with code signing process that happens with with um, apple and your developer account but i guess it doesn't apply if all you're doing is getting the source code i mean what, what's the stop you from just dis- people just from distributing source code as it is now aaron nothing stopping that and that that already happens right yeah there are open source ios applications that you can download and install yourself sure um what i'm i'm thinking here is about an actual market where people can developers can put their apps for sale Mm -hmm. right and so there'd have to be a commercial entity i think that would take on that apple-like role of running a marketplace right that would build this app and run this marketplace and take a piece of the sales hmm you know, for hosting and, you know, for profit, of course. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, and it could even look like the iOS app store. Why not? <laughs> hmm. um, I, I think there's it's a, it's a pretty interesting opportunity for someone who could, you know, <laughs> and God knows they would certainly get attention for doing it <laughs> uh, because it would, it would be a legitimate marketplace. It would be a legitimate vector to sideload apps on 
iOS. And it would allow developers, you can tell I've thought about this a bit, it would allow Ooh. developers <laughs> to, uh, to make apps that they otherwise couldn't make for the App Store because it wouldn't get through review, perhaps. Ah, uh, right. And it would allow them to charge, uh, you know, for example, and maybe this, uh, this marketplace would allow trials, would allow upgrade pricing, um, and it would be a wonderful experiment to see if those vectors improve the, the uh, profitability of selling yeah. software for iOS. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. And then you could, you go, if you're successful at this little side venture, you could decide, well, I'm going to go mainstream and, and push it up to the App Store. Or offer it in both stores. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, but yeah. like a, a feature-limited version in the official App Store and uh, a full-blown version. You know, think of Panic, right? They had to pull Coda from the App Store, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they couldn't they couldn't sell it there. Oh, you know, I'm thinking of uh, the Mac App Store, Mac Coda, not uh, iOS Coda. That's a fair right. distinction to make. Um, yeah. Because I do listen to the folks who only do Mac development, and uh, I'm not trying to minimize their their complaints about the Mac App Store and how sandboxing everything works. But by comparison uh, to the iOS App Store, um, it's a free-for-all in the Mac App Store. Like, you can do all sorts of things that you could not even conceive of doing on iOS. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I thought it was such a great idea. I mean, I got so excited about it, and I started talking to a couple of my friends, and they both, like, they, they, they said, excuse me, and they walked away. They got a big bucket of cold water, and they came back, and they threw it in my face. They're like, this is a stupid idea. Nobody's ever going to use that. And then Apple's going to smack you down. It'll be all over. And then so AppHub.io think- comes out, and it's like even more flagrant, more in Apple's face. And they've got like venture capital probably and all this crap. It's crazy. See, I think that's because they looked at it too logically, right? So it depends what you want to do. Um, one possible thing you could do is try to ride this into the ground, right? And And the key is for you to get huge venture capital funding before the, everything falls out from underneath you. Yeah. Take right. You want to be, you want to yeah. be the yo app, right? Yeah. Which <laughs> has no, no future and nobody will remember 20 years from now, but guess what? That dude got like a million to 2 million of venture capital funding. So yeah, even really? if he wasn't getting wow. rich himself, he got to spend a year or two poking around with this stupid app idea and not having to go out and look for work either as an employee or as a contractor. Hmm. What a scam. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's not me, though. I'm sorry. I can't do that. <laughs> that's the business model, folks. Scamming uh, Silicon Valley. Venture capitalists. V- yeah. v- venture capital and uh, angel investors. Sounds like wow. a sweet deal. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, there, th- that concludes this week's episode of um, Aaron's Crazy Idea Crazy Corner. Corner. Cool. All right, let's go around the table, as we usually do, and see if anybody has any picks. And we'll, as usual, stop at Aaron's desk and we'll say, do you have a pick? I have a pick. It is GitHub Desktop. This was just released today as we record on Wednesday, the 11th, 12th? What is today, anyway? You should look at my watch. It's 12th. the 12th. Mm-hmm. My watch says it's the 12th. So GitHub Desktop uh, has been around for the Mac uh, for some time now, but uh, there was a new release today, and it has, uh, I guess, reached parity in terms of features with the Windows version. It's, I think that's kind of the big deal that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's available at desktop.github.com, and if you're a GitHub user... Uh, this is a very nice uh, desktop client for this working with your repos. Guide, uh... Yeah, the the icon is a Octacat. <laughs> yeah, okay, um, yeah. And it is purple And this is, the, this is the app that Rob Ricks works on, isn't it? It is, in fact, yes. Uh, Rob Ricks, friend of the show, may we say? Yeah, I think so. I hope I'm not presumptuous. 
but everybody loves Rob Ricks if you can understand what he's saying on Twitter. Uh, hell of a guy. Or so, <laughs> yes, uh, he obviously is a worker on the desktop client. So this thing uh, allows you to work with your repos, so you can do pretty much anything you can do on the command line you can do in the desktop client. So um, cloning, branching, committing, sharing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I was using it today. I downloaded it, and, um, of course, I used GitHub like crazy all the time. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And for my current client project uh, in particular, because that's what I was working on today, I had it open. Every time I made a change to a file, the diff would show up right there live in the desktop client. And that was kind of neat to see. So as I'm working on it, the, um, the, uh, the unstaged commits are building in this window, uh, showing me exactly what it is I've done. Um, now I'm a guy that uses the uh, command line Git uh, uh, command line client, and so I'm not really used to graphical user interfaces for working with repos. Mm-hmm. So this was really kind of neat for me to see, and uh, I think it's really pretty cool. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue using it because I've got a lot of muscle memory invested in the command line app. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in fact, so much so that I had the GitHub app open on my desktop. But I was still, you know, command-tabbing over to terminal to commit and push. Oh, really? <laughs> so, hmm. And I was like, oh, wait a second. Ah, too late. I've already done it. <laughs> um, so it's, it's kind of funny. But uh, definitely, like, it's free. Check it out. Um, and if you're on Windows, God knows what the hell's the matter with you. Um, they have a version for that as well. So uh, check it out. GitHub. Sorry, desktop.github.com. Uh, nice little one-page site showing the app, and then it's uh, free to download and run. Yeah, I've been using it for the last year or so. I think when when I first heard about it from, I think Rob was talking about it. Yeah. Uh, or maybe maybe before that. Um, yeah. So I I use it occasionally. I like looking at uh, the colors to see the differences and stuff like that when I'm checking stuff. Like I use it for for web stuff a lot um, when I'm doing the odd website here and there because those are always a pain in the butt. Um, you know and and. It's hand, I, you know, I, I like you. I, I do the diff command myself on the command line, and, and but sometimes you just need to look at it side by each. And it's handy if you're not using Xcode, which I use for GitHub all the time, or for Git, I should say. Um, yeah, it's a great tool. I like it. I'm looking forward to the update. I'm just going to try and download it as soon as I can get it. Give me grief. Oh well. Cool. All right. So Jaime, what's your pick? My pick is a new app from Microsoft, a little company over here in Redmond Microsoft, you may have heard of. Microsoft. Microsoft. Micro as in small. Soft oh, as software. Interesting. Okay. What a funny startup. Pun. Is that a startup? Must be new. <laughs> One of those funny new West Coast companies. Yeah, they're always coming up all over the place. Yep. All right, yeah. hit me, Jaime. What's this all about? So they came out with a... <laughs> they came out with a new app for... Um, for the for iOS and the Apple Watch, um, it's called Microsoft Translator, mm-hmm. and it's scary good. Um, it's very very seamless in terms of being able to take you know just say something. And I'll use the App Store screenshot they have here, right? Like where is the bathroom? And the screenshot doesn't really give you the the best impression of this, but you can see the live translation of of what it's trying to do. Right? It's interpreting what you're saying as you go along for the, every word that you're saying and changing the translation live. Um, and it also gives you uh, not only the textual format for what it is to translate it, but for certain languages, and I, and I don't know the entire list, uh, I do know that something like uh, Spanish, Chinese, Japanese, Korean were supported. Um, 
Vietnamese is supported textually, but not, you know, with an audio voice that will speak it out to somebody else. Oh, cool. uh, but it's it's super fast. It's I'd like it because it's sort of the opposite of um, my experience with Siri, which waits for you to say an entire phrase and then tries to translate. This one is doing it much more on the fly, so it feels much more closely, uh, you know, most closely aligned, I should say, with their Cortana um, Bing powered service that they have on Windows Phone. Hmm. Uh, I would say to folks that the Apple Watch app is is okay. I, I give Apple, sorry, I give Microsoft credit for trying out <laughs> and doing something new like the Apple Watch app, but it's it's not great. It's okay. Right. So th- so this is a an app that you can speak into it. It translates it back to you, or yeah, you can speak or type, and oh, okay. cool. you can choose the language that it goes into, and you can have it speak what it says. So I just said, can you show me the way to the theater, and it. it, it Turn it into Spanish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, here, listen. Me puede mostrar el camino al teatro. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's accurate, of course. but <laughs> And then you can also get the translation to appear in large type and landscape on the phone. So that you could show it to someone, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's okay. a really nice, pleasant, um, very simple design uh, visually on the iPhone. The, the Apple Watch one has an okay design, but I think... If you were to try to show somebody, you know, take the time to show them what you have in your watch, you have enough time to show them what's on your phone. So the, right. the use case doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Another typical Apple Watch app. Yeah, and, and also the the microphone piece uses the native, you know, microphone connectivity that uh, the Apple Watch right. provides, which means right. it's actually an inferior experience because it has to wait for you to say the entire phrase, hit the done button, then translate which misses the point of what I just said was the cool thing about this, which is that it translates live. Um, could have sworn that Google's Translate app did something kind of similar, but not as well from what I recall. And not as slick at the very least. I don't know about accuracy. Yeah, they, they have like an Ajax thing in their browser that you can use to... Google does, I mean, right? Yeah, so but the, I, the, Google, the Google Translate app for the iPhone is the one oh, I'm thinking of. Right, right, right. That does the live translation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Next yeah. time I'm in a foreign country and want to have a conversation. Like America, does it speak American? Does it speak American? That's a good question. Does it, I mean, does, does, it? does it translate American? Eh? Oh, it definitely does handle American. I don't know if it handles Canadian. I need to see you like start asking it about things like you know Hosers. the hardest. The hard, yeah, it just starts throwing a at the end of everything. Yeah. I think to, well, to you know, translate. The trick to Canadian like the is the U's are usually silent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tim, Tim, give me your pick. <laughs> give me your pick, Tim. Well, my pick is kind of a, a, a it's a, a reciprocal pick. Uh, we were picked last week, I believe, uh, episode 79 of IO, IO Yes podcast. Um, one of the listeners, one of the hosts on the show mentioned, gave us a shout out. Um, it turns out that Greg, too famous Heo, was on the show, on their show, when he was down at WWDC. Um, and uh, they interviewed him about you know his work as with RayWinderlich.com and you know all that kind of stuff. And they because he was on our show, I think they listened to the Canada episode, the O Canada episode, where Jaime and uh, Mark were absent, so the Canadians took over. So mm-hmm. we got they they gave us a shout out as a as a great iOS podcast for developers, um, and which I think is cool. And but they they said that we we're a bunch of Canadians talking about Canadian stuff. 
you know, when we're, what we're really doing is we're talking about Canadian stuff with the, in the effort to teach Jaime about Canadians. Um, wow. Anyway, so shout out to the iOS uh, podcast. Uh, I listened to it as well because Greg Hill was on their show as well. That's how I found out about them. Otherwise, I never would have found them either using t- uh, the iTunes store. Reciprocal podcastings. Yeah. At Greg Hill, he is too sexy for our podcast. Too famous. Too, too sexy. famous. Yeah, he's been on, I think, four different podcasts now. So, yeah, he's he's got us worried over there at the Ray Wunderlich team. Wait, you think know. he's gonna he's gonna run away with another Ray Wunderlich? I don't know. I don't even I don't know what know. that means, but uh, mm. you, know, you got to watch out for that, Greg. He is um, he's, he's a heck of a man. He's, he's a heck tricky. of a man. <laughs> you look at his uh, avatar; he's got the shifty eyes. You know, so. he does. It's the shifty. I, I noticed that too. <laughs> he's off there looking. I don't know what's he looking at. Psst, Want to buy an app? Yeah. Exactly. 99 cents? Nope, too much. But speaking of uh, shout-outs to podcasts, I also want to mention uh, another one that uh, I listened to is Bill Phase. And we talked, we met, uh, Jaime and I met, we met Gord Fontenot at uh, NS North. Um, I didn't even know he had a podcast then. He was speaking, one of the speakers at the show, and I started listening to his Bill Phase program. And the thing about Bill Phase and uh, IOS is, for those of you who are um, weak on the code, let's say, they get really heavily into the code. You know, um, which is interesting because you get to hear how they tackle specific problems within their apps, um, you know, as well as transitioning over to Shift, Swift and, you know, things that they're learning how to do. So it's an interesting, different perspective from what we do on our show in terms of the kind of things we talk about. Because we get well, into, we talk about more than just code, obviously. That's true. Yeah, yeah. They just, well, not that they don't want to belittle them and say that they, just, they talk about just code or, or they're only Americans, but still, you know. <laughs> There's but a you spectrum, did say so. that. There's a spectrum. So iOS is pretty much code, is what I just heard. So yeah. I, I haven't listened to them, so I'm just going to go with that. Yeah. There is, on the opposite end of the spectrum, release notes, which is everything but the code. Yes, exactly. And then there's us, who is more than just code. So we kind of touch both topics. Exactly. exactly. And, and just point of fact, we started this. I, when we started this podcast, I really wasn't even listening to podcasts, to be honest with you, right? So Don't lie to us, Tim. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's interesting how we sort of all came to the, again, it's like we talked about before with the sort of cultural convergence of developers. We want to basically get information out to other developers who are struggling with the same kind of challenges that we all have. And that's what Lysnos does for the indie de- indie development biz type people. You know, uh, build phase and iOS do things for, you know, sort of a deeper, deeper dive into the code. Um, and we have Mark. <laughs> Okie dokie. Alrighty. Alright. So I guess that's it for the week. Uh, But before we go, uh, Aaron, where can people find you if they're looking for you on the interwebs? Go on the interwebs. Go to Twitter. Go to twitter.com slash AaronVay. And then, when you're done there, go to magpievideo.com and look at this awesome app that nobody's buying. It could be you, though. You could be the first one. Yeah, yeah. But just a side note, I didn't, we didn't talk about this during the show, but I just pushed out two bill, two apps this week uh, to the App Store. Both went through in like less than two days. Remarkable. Really weird. Yeah, so there you go. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm jealous. Yeah. Well, how long have you been waiting? Are you waiting or? Uh, well, I mean, the app review times, to, to be fair, have been down a little bit. So that's that's good Yeah. because they were way, way high. Yeah, it's probably like five or six days right now. So I've been waiting on a bill really? for about five days now, probably. No way. Yeah, I hate to say, it. yeah, I pushed, I pushed out one. Uh, I put one up on Monday night, and it went through today. And um, I put one through 
I mean, I, I put set the bill over to the team, and, and the person who actually pushes the pu- the push button, the go button, she pushed it out a couple of days ago. But yeah, it was like two days, really quick. Like, oh wow! Couple, yeah, I haven't seen that kind of uh, speed in about a year, maybe a year and a half. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe maybe people are sitting on their hands waiting for iOS nine, or or uh, you know they're, they're waiting for the the big watch transition or something. I don't know. Who knows what it is, Aaron? I don't know. Not that. Uh, yeah. Get that up. Get that bug fix in. That's all I have to say. Yeah. I already did that. Pushed bug fixes last week, and it was the normal develop, uh, normal review time. Sorry, eight to ten days, sort of thing. Yeah, um, I'm wow. just looking. I wasn't. I wasn't kidding. I haven't sold a thing, single thing in August. Yeah, I know my 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 app sales are down to nothing too. It's, I, I'm not sure what's going on with that. And like I said, it's been slowly dwindling over time. Um, I think as Apple tries to optimize the App Store, they're just crippling it even more. So <laughs> it's optimized oh, all right for keeping me out of business. <laughs> wait a minute, I just thought about it. Is it Tim, were these apps just in the Canadian store? No, no. Oh, okay. Well, one of them, one of them's in. Actually, no. Both of them are localized into like one's eight languages, the other one's fourteen languages. Speaking of uh, translation, yeah. So I mean, again, like it's like I like. I think the janitor put his coffee cup down on the enter button on the keyboard <laughs> on the big Apple Apple approval computer. Right. Okay. So maybe they're using Microsoft Surface to approve apps. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Jaime, if people want to find you on the internet, where would they look? You know, shockingly, Twitter has not yet shut down my account, so I feel pretty <laughs> safe by now saying that uh, you can find me on Twitter as at devwiththehair. Okay. All right, and my name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, as I said at the top of the show, and I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and I can be found at my website, it-guy.com, and I will be at 360iDev by the time this publishes on Saturday night. So next week is 360i Dev. I'll see you guys there. We'll see I won't see you guys there, but I'll see no. our fans, fans of our show. I'll see them there. Fans. All, all three of them, I think, are going to go. Fantastic. <laughs> all right. All right. Say bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar amount. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening. So, okay. This is episode 52. Uh, Yes, it is. So, I have a question. So, is this the first episode of the next year or the last episode of the first year? I think it's the last episode of the first year. Right. Because there are 52 weeks in a year. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, okay. All right. Hmm. Hmm. Because it's interesting because we started this podcast on April or August 6th of last year. Okay. Right. Well, we must have missed weeks, right? Like, we didn't do every week. We took Christmas (laughs) off, for example. Did we? Yeah. We did. We took a week, maybe two, off there. And so we had kind of the... okay, right. The... The guest host episode with uh, Tammy. Tammy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the crossover. Right. And then we, we also have the lost episode, so... Yeah, the lost right. episode, yeah, yeah. If you're going to get nitpicky, like, you know... 
but I'm yeah, but okay I mean, with this so, being the, the, the last episode of the first season because it makes sense from a 52 weeks in a year in a normally weekly um, a, a show kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And let's face it, nobody's going to call us on it. Well, so my point though is is that, but looking at looking at the anniversary though, if we started on the sixth, then then last week's show should have been the anniversary show. That's my that's why I'm asking the question. I mean, not understanding the fact that we missed a couple of shows, right? Three to be exact, right? But even then, so if you're going from August sixth, like yeah, right, and and maybe I'm fueling the 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 fans, the you know the the, the hard fans who say, by golly, yeah. no, yeah, uh, because. It hasn't been a full year from their right. perspective if they listen to one episode per week. And right. I think they might be right. Huh. I don't know. We'll have to I'm have with Jaime on this one. You know, I don't think that we count by calendar year. We count by number of shows. All right. If we, if we had taken, like, five episodes off, right? Yeah. Would, would yeah. you still be saying that, um, that we deserve to call it a year now? Yeah, I don't know. It's, well, it is an anniversary. I mean, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, sure. irrespective of, of the count of, of shows, right? Um, and we missed it. <laughs> well, Whatever. I mean, but, but that's meaningful at different levels, right? Yeah. So, from a fan perspective, I think it's sort of nice to have the, the 52 episode as being a... As this is the season. Right. You know, nowadays, seasons are much more flexible. If you look yeah. at something like Breaking Bad, yeah. that had X number of episodes, then had a Hiatus. season five yeah. that had eight episodes, a very right. long break, and then another set of eight episodes. I think it was eight episodes mm-hmm. that continued the, the same season five. And Mad right. Men did kind of a similar thing. Newsroom had ten episodes, nine episodes, God, I love and that show. six episodes, I think, for the final season. Yeah, it was so sad. How many, how many years is that show on for? I never watched Three. that one. Three, okay. Hmm. Don't get off topic, though. So, we're we're a year in. Hurry for us. 52, it's one year. Mm-hmm. We're done. Good. Are we going to do picks or what? All right, so let's do like we do every week. Let's go around the corner and see if... <laughs> uh, the corner. <laughs> let's, let's do this. I'm like sitting it. at this table here, Tim. I don't know where you're going around the corner. So here's okay. the Easter egg for the show. It's my birthday wait, wait, today. Wait, wait, wait. What? Uh, Oh, oh, it's your birthday? And scene. And scene, thank you. It's your birthday today? It is. Well, shut up. Happy birthday, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, my birthday's in 10 days. So Really? Are you, does that make you a Gemini? No, it makes me a Leo. Oh, you're on the, the, the cusp of Leo? I'm a cusp, actually. I'm a Leo Virgo cusp. Cool. For yeah. all that matters. Such what are you, Jaime? Stars. I am a Taurus. Taurus, so you're, you're, you're in... Uh, I think, think I'm the latter part of Taurus. I think I'm barely Taurus. I don't actually know. That's like when's April, right? End of April? End of, end, of, end of April, but I think I'm... Oops, I spelled it. Taurus, April 20th. Or, oh, no, I'm actually pretty early in Taurus. I, I always thought it was late. April 20th? Yeah. April 20th or May 20th. <laughs> no, which is your birthday? My birthday is April 25th. 25th, okay, yeah. Yeah, because we have two Tauruses. Um, Carol's sister and her, her uh, brother-in-law, they're married, are Tauruses. Which is kind of weird. Tori, really. Tori? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who knew? Okay, I'm, I'm stopping the recording now. Okay, bye.